Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Flitz. You know, when we do this podcast, it feels sometimes like we have stolen from somebody. With the way that we're able to keep pulling this off and keep on being the fill-in co-hosts. I don't know, have we stolen Rick and Nick Talk Flicks from the guys who this podcast is named after? Pandemic, shutdown, whatever you want to call it. I think they've probably stolen something from somewhere from the Louvre and they're laying low until the heat blows over because where are those guys? We haven't heard from them in forever. No? Yeah. Well, we can't come in, you know, pandemic and masks and things. Apparently, they have really nice teeth that, that they want ago. people to see. Yeah. 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 Anyway, it feels sometimes like you and I have pulled off a heist to even be in this position. So, why not talk about heists I didn't a little think, bit today? I didn't think I was going to wake up this morning quoting Principal Strickland from Back to the Future. Slackers! <laughs> That's them. Certainly not us. <laughs> no. We're not slacking here. Overachiever. Joel Hoover and Dave Brooks joining you for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2 just down from the airport. Uh, as we are continuing through this COVID-19 pandemic and this time without new movies being released on the big screen, uh, on the small screen, streaming services, there are new movies that are occasionally coming out, but not your massive tentpole movies. Those continue to get moved backward. And now it's come to the point, Dave, where, at least in, in terms of latest news, it's indefinite as far as the newest movies, Mulan, Tenet, some of those movies that we were looking to to reopen movies and reopen theaters, they have been postponed indefinitely with cases on the rise across the U.S. And the word on, in the industry is that we could be heading for a time where these movies are going to get a staggered release worldwide. Have you been hearing a little bit about that? Yeah, things like you know, Tenant. They're going to release it globally, and rather than a lot of times they'll release movies almost one big chunk, but boom, they land in everywhere across the world or in a very close proximity. Separated only by a week or yeah, two. Yeah, they'll launch it in Europe, but not in the U.S., and then a few days later it'll open in the U.S. and then Asia or so on and so forth. But they're going to talk about, and I think Tenet might be one of the first. It still might be coming out sooner than you think, but just not here. You know, New Zealand, for example, they have officially zero, as of the time that we're recording this podcast, zero cases of the pandemic. So why can't Tenet or other movies open in New Zealand? Their movie theaters are open. They've got no cases in the country at all. And so things like that might happen. It'll be staggered worldwide. And as the U.S. becomes able to receive these movies, then the theaters are open. Then the movies will come back in. But... When will that be? There's a lot of talk. It may not be until 2021. It's all about how comfortable are you with with releasing and and putting people in a position to go to theaters. Obviously, they feel that in other markets they will be able to do that because if there's possibility and if they if they feel like they can do it and people are going to be safe and case numbers are at a healthy point, it's clear they want to get these movies out. They want to get the ball rolling. 
on an income standpoint, but also I think for a calendar standpoint as well, because the movie calendar is just jumbled. It's it's a complete mess right now with the number of changes that have needed to be made here over the last several months. And again, they're looking at if, if we can make money off this movie and it's ready, there's going to be the interest in these other countries where it's possible for people to go see this, and it's going to benefit us, too. That seems to be the the general line of thinking. You're going to have instances... Well, it's, it's hard to predict. I think you're going to have movies come out overseas that we want to see. Bootlegs might become something that are a thing. We don't want to release there, them on streaming. That's the other concern, too, yep. is they're, they're worried about these movies getting out online and getting out online for piracy. There's, there's really nothing you can do when you have a whole bunch of people that can't see it and another large group that can't see it. There's a market for that. And where there's a market for whatever, stolen kidneys, you're going to have a black market for it. And so you can look for that to be on the rise. Mm-hmm. I am more than willing to believe and state that Tenet will show up in a black market version, bootleg, prior to its release here in the U.S. And others like it. And some are going to streaming services. I really wanted to see Greyhound, that Tom Hanks World War II submarine movie. Well, it's not going out theatrically now. In fact, it's now one of those exclusive uh, things you can get on Apple TV. Well, I don't have Apple TV, but I really want to see this. Am I willing to do the seven-day trial just to see this one movie and then cancel it? Or I don't want to subscribe to 900 streaming things just to see the one thing I want. I might just have to uh, grit my teeth and wait for it to come out on you know video or something. But this is going to be very different. Tenet was kind of that line in the sand, and if it didn't stick its date, everything else was going to fall, and that's pretty much what happened. They yanked that, and now everything on the 2020 slate has been slowly but surely falling like dominoes, and they're yanking them to 2021, maybe even later. I think, Dave, there was there was genuine optimism that they were going to get going in late July and early August because things had turned around and become a little bit more positive, but... Then July 4th weekend came around, we saw cases start to spike in other states, and concern elevated again. And I think that's where the change seemed to take place. I mean, did you feel like they were going, that that they genuinely felt they could get back off the ground again in in late July? I mean, it's one thing to, to think if it was actually doable, but did you think that they felt it was possible? You know, you and I were talking off here yesterday, and sometimes I come off as pessimistic, but I'm, I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm also a realist. And I'm not going to set myself up for false expectations when I just know the reality is not going to match that up. There seems to be kind of three narratives, you know, there's about this pandemic. Those that are based on science and, and medical science, and this is how this works. There's no way that this is going to happen. The second narrative is we really want this to go forward. We really want to get this sport going. We really want to get this pandemic out of the way and move forward. Pandemic's over. No, it's not. It isn't over, you know. So to just pretend like it isn't happening doesn't it's, it's a very optimistic approach and then reality crushes in. You know, just right now we're finding the Miami Marlins are going to be how many games are they going to miss ultimately because they're coming down with pandemic cases. Vikings are supposed to be reporting to training camp today and their head trainer just came down with COVID. So will they start camp on time? That's the optimistic view. And then there's, for whatever reason, we're just going to pretend this doesn't exist at all, which does, I, don't, I don't understand that. But when you're looking at the optimism, of course, I want to see the sports back. I want to see movies back. But at the same time, I don't want to put myself or others at risk. Um, if I wasn't recording a podcast, I'd be sitting here wearing a mask right now. 
but I don't want to. I don't want to sound like this doing a doing a podcast. We all appreciate it. Thank you. Some people maybe not. My parents would be thrilled. Boy, the government made my kid wear a mask. Yes, finally. Why couldn't I do that? But this is going to be one of those where you know. Well, we're going to open up movies in July. The numbers are only indicating otherwise. Maybe in you know April or May. You're like, well, maybe, but. Everybody that knew how these things go and they ebb and they flow knew that by coming up late summer and into fall, this is going to be on the rise if you're listening to those that know how this works without political bias, without intent bias, but just looking at the numbers and pure science, they were all saying the same thing. Anyone that did not have an axe to grind or an agenda to further, they were all saying the same thing, and it's only going to get worse before it gets better. And it will get better. We will get back from this. I, I appreciate that they were at least working toward that end. It, it feels like they were making a genuine effort yeah. to see if it could be done rather than shutting it down right away from the beginning. Let's let it play out. Let's see how it goes. And then ultimately they made the call that we can't do it. It was nice to at least be in that position where they were seemingly aiming toward trying to make it happen to get people back to the theaters and see these movies at, at that point. But then when they saw how things were playing out, when they saw how it was going and decided, okay, we're just going to wait. Again, at least there was the effort there, yeah, it seems. they need to make their budgets back, and I get it. But it just, uh, you, you have to know that it's just not realistic. But then you start seeing things like the drive-in movie theaters making a comeback. Even just being jerry-rigged at the at the county fairgrounds here in town. Yep. They That's have right. the grandstand. They're, they're going to start doing this here pretty quick. I think they already started, actually. Uh, and they're going to be showing relatively newer movies and some throwback classics. This is a great opportunity. It was kind of a kick, you know, a few weeks ago, seeing what was number one at the box office, and it was Jurassic Park, the original from 1993. I mean, it only pulled in a few hundred thousand dollars on top of the millions and billions that it pulled in, you know, over the last, what, 30 years it's been out. But that's cool. We're going to do a creature double feature at the drive-in. Oh, you haven't heard those words uttered since 1960-something, maybe. So that is cool, and I would love to go. And I've never been to a drive-in. Would love that. And if you're inside your car, or at least outside of it, but at a distance from everybody else and outside, that's doing it responsibly, that's doing it safe, bringing mm-hmm. your own snacks and things. Yes, that's a great way that Hollywood can try to make the best out of uh, a bad situation. Um, you know, you got to be creative in times like this. Dave and I today are talking about heist movies. That is our subject of the day for for this episode. There is just some kind of appeal about heist movies. Several weeks ago, when we were going over some possible topics for future episodes, heist movies came up. Um, I, I I can't remember if it was me or you who brought it up. I mean, you we put both it did. you put it on your list, but we both kind of our eyes got a little bit big when we talked about doing heist movies because there's just some kind of appeal to heist movies, which we'll get into here of why there's an appeal, but they they're just very entertaining, and there are many different possibilities that exist of what you can do with a heist movie. But did you want to get into some notable ones, favorites? Where did you want to start with it, Dave? Well, I think we should probably start with some honorable mentions. We kind of, yeah. when you start thinking about heist movies, you can really kind of open it up. And I don't want to get too broad with things. There are examples of legitimate heist movies that are part of something bigger that are not about heists. So we'll give them an honorable mention and a shout out, like Mission Impossible movies, for example. Technically, a lot of them are heist movies, but I wouldn't 
necessarily include him in this because... It's not always a heist. No. Some of them are more about stopping the bad guy from doing something, and others are trying to get the whatever item, you know, and so it may be a legitimate heist movie. But, you know, they, they kind of come and they go. Fast and Furious, for example. It Especially would be, Fast Five. Yeah. Some are heist movies very much so, and others not so much. Star Wars, Rogue One, and Solo could be considered heist movies, but yes. I don't think I want to include them because... They're Not worth really. they're worth a mention though. I mean, because again, you've you they've got an attachment to the the genre because there is a heist involved with them. But I think it's worth bringing up because yeah. you you can take you can take some of the elements of what we're going to talk about with a heist movie, and they've got them. They they've got them, even though it's more than just what you would think of initially as being a heist movie. Yeah, and others you and I had talked about, and I'm sure it's coming up, but let's get it up front. Movies like Inception, which has all the elements of a heist movie, but it kind of isn't. It's about implanting. It's about, in a weird way, giving so that dominoes will fall so that you can get. So it's it's got the elements of a heist movie without really being a heist movie, question but, mark? But that's why it's worth bringing up yeah. with, this, with this category, because it flips that idea on its head using principles of the mind and with implanting an idea in the mind of someone using their dreams, using their subconscious, yeah. which they explain with, within the course of the movie. I was just talking to some friends yesterday, one of whom has never seen Inception before, and I was like, oh. I can't wait to show you guys You want to be there movie. for that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely <laughs> want to be there for, for this experience because it does take that, that classic concept and idea, and it does flip it then of, we're not necessarily stealing something, which they do at the beginning of the movie. They're stealing something yep. from uh, from one of their, their targets, but then they're going to implant an idea, and they flip that idea on its head. And in fact, the guy who they were stealing from is the one who comes to them and says, Let's do is this. it possible to do inception to to bring an idea and implant an idea in somebody yeah so it's it's a couple movies that deserve a shout out you can't just discard them but generally what we came up with was the general gist of the movie has to be about the heist you know maybe it's more in the background at times but it's always there and it's always front and center and it's all about being heisted and you know so a lot of the bigger franchises heisted heisted to be heisted the heisty is to be, a lot of the franchises aren't going to count because they're not about that. But then let's, we can jump right into one of the more notable, well-known examples, the Oceans movies. Well, that's all about a heist, you know, in various different ways from Oceans 11 through 13 and then Oceans 8. They're all about a heist to some degree or other. Right. And there's the things to love about them. And everybody knows and loves the Ocean's Eleven movies, including the original with the Rat Pack from the 60s. It's a very different movie, by the way. Ocean's Eleven, the, the George Clooney version, is almost more of a reconceptualization than a remake. It is completely different. If Which you is watch, great. Oh, yeah. If you watch Ocean's Eleven, the original, I mean the 60s version, and then watch the Clooney Ocean's Eleven, completely different movies. Basically, the Rat Pack wanted to make a movie in Vegas, so they kind of did. You know, and that, yeah, the movie was incidental. It's not that great of a movie, but it was to see those guys together. Right. And then Ocean's Eleven, Clooney and Pitt, boy, that's a really cool plot, and it's fun to see it unfold, and that's one of the things we'll get into is what makes heist movies good. You kind of get a glimpse as to how they're going to do what they're talking about doing without getting specific, 
And then as the movie goes, it starts to unfold and you, oh, 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 I, oh, I get it. And then you get the curveballs and you realize they really weren't the curveballs that you thought they were because they were set up to anticipate them coming, so on and so forth. And to see it unfold in front of you, not knowing exactly how it's going to be done. And that's the other part. And just a great chemistry, all-star cast. Great story. Ocean's Eleven, in a lot of ways, is almost like the perfect movie. It's just a good story, good cast, slick, but it's not frosting without the cake either. It's all there. Great, great run. First one in particular. We'll get back to our, our some of our favorites as we go here, but I think it's important to get into some of the concepts that yeah. make heist movies so so compelling, like you talked about. That first one that you discussed of that peeling back of the layers on how the job is going to be done. That's one of those elements that that makes them really interesting because a lot of the movie gets spent fleshing that out of how are we going to do that job. And different heist movies do this to varying degrees or they some might use the heist as the central component of the movie. Others, it's what sets the rest of the movie in motion. For example, with Ocean's Eleven, the job that they're pulling on on Terry Benedict's three casinos, that is the center of the movie. And and then they're, the build-up, the preparation, you're layering in how they're going to do it as you go. Then you have something like another one of my favorite heist movies. In fact, I have two heist movies in my top ten all-time favorite movies. Ocean's Eleven's one of them. The other, and you know I love this movie, is The Old Thomas Crown Affair with Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. The heist happens in the first several minutes of the movie. You get a few details on how it came together, especially with um, Steve McQueen's character, Thomas Crown, interacting with one of the guys he has doing the job, uh, Erwin Malloy, um, and and discreetly meeting with him. He doesn't even Erwin Malloy doesn't even meet Thomas Crown. But you get an idea of that this job has come together. You get no details then in terms of how the job's going to be done until you see it happening before you and then that heist sets the tone for the rest of the movie and all that happens following with Faye Dunaway's um, private investigator coming in and tracking Thomas Crown so completely different examples on how the setup of the job can be done differently within a heist movie and how you can kind of pivot around that or make it the central component of the movie and a lot of times with with the Thomas Crown Affair, both the original and the remake with Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo, it's about the chase after the heist. Right. And it's a little more of a saucy, you know, seductive dance. The investigator and Thomas Crown start a, you know, a forbidden love affair in a way. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, another one that's kind of about the chase yeah. after the heist or attempted heist yeah, in, in that case. So these are movies that are very much driven by the heist itself. And that brings us to the next point where Thomas Crown, he's the bad guy but because you know, he's doing the thieving. But at the same time, he's almost an anti-hero because he's being chased by the law. But you don't, as an audience member, want to see him you know, put behind bars. You want to see them get together. And yeah, the chemistry is yeah. just undeniable. Yeah, we, that is that's something that that we both collectively brought up when we were preparing for this, and it's one of the most interesting elements of heist movies. You technically have bad guys who are the protagonists in this case that because they are stealing something. They are doing something that is wrong. And yet, 
whether it's stealing from society, stealing from the law, or just stealing from somebody else, there is something oddly compelling about the the fact that they are doing it and the manner in which they are doing it. And you almost be you almost start rooting for them. Even in something like the usual suspects, you get a sense immediately when you meet the guys at the very beginning that these are bad guys. They are these truly are, bad guys. These are bad guys. And yet you're wondering how it gets to the point where you open the movie with. You're wondering how it all gets there because you see the end at the beginning, essentially. Almost the end. Most of the, the movie's told in this, well, tell me what happened next. How did right. this go? You know? And but you become sort of entranced with, you know, who these guys are, even though they are technically bad guys. And that's the case with heist movies in general. But in many cases, you become interested because these people sometimes get forced into this position or there's some kind of motivation. You know, I think of a um, worse bad guy. Terry Benedict is clearly worse than the other guy. That's right. I I think of um, a a movie I just watched a couple of months ago here during the pandemic, hell or high water. And in that movie, um, the two brothers, one one of whom is uh, Chris Pine, um, they're going around and they're, they're stealing from banks um, going on this, this spree why? Because there's some serious financial troubles that the bank has kind of put their family in and, and put their, I believe, their mother in, if I remember correctly. Um, and that's why they're doing this. And then Jeff Bridges is on the law side of this, trying to do justice by this. But you kind of get stuck going, is there really a protagonist and an antagonist to this? Because you sympathize with the brothers a little bit with why they are doing this. And yet at the same time, Jeff Bridges, he's... He's the lawman trying to trying to bring them down here. And you kind of get pulled both directions. That That's the power of the fact that a heist movie involves people doing bad things, and yet you're compelled and even sometimes root for them because the reasons are sometimes complicated. That's one of the good stories of a good show, whether that's theater or that's a musical or a movie or a TV show. You are going to be given a perspective, or at the very least have to really think hard about that perspective, where maybe the bad guy is made to look sympathetic, so you see it from the other side, and then maybe it's only later you realize, I was rooting for somebody truly evil. I mean, how many people have watched one of the more truly horrible characters ever created, probably Hannibal Lecter, but he's so immensely smart and slick that you, he's almost his own anti-hero. You don't want to see him. Captured. Wait a minute. A murderous cannibal? You don't want to? Yes, he's something about him. And when you get a heist movie, that will spin things around and the bad guys become, at the very least, an anti-hero, if not straight up good guys. It's interesting how it'll get you its perspective. But also, sometimes the best part of the murder mystery shows is how it was done. And sometimes it's the methodology of how this happens. Um, maybe it's something slick, maybe it's something a little more slow and rolling. I mean, the Mini Coopers from the Italian job come to mind as something really slick, both versions of the Italian job. They kind of were iconic in their own right, and now they put them in a particular way. It's fun to see it unfold. And then other, to go back to the Ocean's Eleven movies, the first one, you don't really know how they're going to do it, but you see it unfold. Ocean's Thirteen, you 
you know how it's going to be done, and you more or less are watching what they've talked about execute until curveballs start coming in. Right. Well, now we got to adjust to do this. Well, okay. And then that starts to unfold in a way you didn't see coming because they had to kind of improvise it on the spot, more Something or less. Something we've seen in the Mission Impossible movies a yeah. little bit as well. Yeah. So it's fun to watch. There's lots of reasons why. It's fun to see the perspective of the who should be a bad guy become a good guy. It's fun to see, wow, that was pretty smart the way they did that. It's fun to watch something move quickly, something that if it's a really good heist movie, it's an intelligent, well-put-together, complicated, but still works script. And it's fun to see a magic act pulled off, even if it's you know a bad act, stealing. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. As we are talking today about heist movies and getting into this very specific subgenre, but all of those are are reasons why they they just have the, this appeal about them. Not to mention some great set pieces oh, sometimes yeah. that come with them too. Whether it's an action sequence or some kind of stunt or some kind of element like the cars in the Italian Job that make them very memorable and and make them kind of stand out a little bit, but. It's that character element, Dave. That I think that character element plays a really important role in what makes them especially unique movies because you find yourself kind of blurring the lines between protagonist and antagonist. Or, we haven't gotten into this either, sometimes you have the bad guy who's more or less the protagonist of the story, but you have a worse guy who you then do find is the antagonist of this story, and that's what makes you go, okay, there are degrees to bad here. You know, th- that is a part of the Oceans movies. You know, think about Oceans 11. You have these these thieves, you have these grifters, these thieves who who come into the picture like right away. You're like, wow. They're lovably roguish. Yeah, they are. Danny Ocean, he's breaking his parole. You know, right away, as soon as he gets out, he's going to Atlantic City. It's like... This isn't exactly good, what what he's doing here. But then, then you meet Terry Benedict. And then you go, oh, I don't like this guy. I don't like this guy. He he clearly has done wrong by some people. He, st- he stole Danny's girl. You know, he did all of that. Then you go, I don't, I don't like Terry Benedict. Plus, Andy Garcia just, he plays him just right to where you, you just don't like his manner. And then, then it's like, okay, I've got incentive to root for these these uh, thieves who are going to be going after him. I've got extra incentive to root for these guys. Not only are they charming, they've got a reason. And Danny especially has got a reason. Well, it gives you great characters and usually great performers to chew the scenes, whether they're the real true bad guy or the roguish type. You know, who doesn't like a good anti-hero? Han Solo is one of the better anti-heroes that are out there, roguish and charming. But overall, would you want him to be your good buddy? Maybe sit with him at the bar, but would you want to, you know, be the one that you trust? Maybe not, but boy, it makes for a great character. Yeah. And you get some great actors that have had these great roles, whether they're the rogue or they're the true evil bad guy. It's fun to see how those characters not just get developed, but how they kind of work. And you get a great cast and great people around them and great writers and a great story. Man, I don't want to use the word great again, but they can really work. Here <laughs> well, it comes. Say it with me. Great. If it suits, it suits. It really. Suits. It does help, too, if, you, if you've got some, some very likable characters who are in that position. You know, I, I mentioned Butch and Sundance earlier. Well, 
another heist movie goes along those same lines with those same two guys, Paul Newman, Robert Redford together, and that's The Sting. Absolutely. You know, again, One Best Picture, 73. It did. And and there's a heist movie. It's essentially a con. The, the whole movie is just one massive con that these guys are pulling off against Robert Shaw's character. That's a heist. Yes. They don't have to all rent banks or casinos, you know, just robbing it off of another grifter, so to speak. Absolutely. Yep, that that certainly counts for it, you know, because they're they're pulling off this this massive con that they're playing out. But the these guys are so likable who they have in there and and they got people who, you know, people know very well. I mean, seeing those two in a movie and they're very likable. Oh yeah. Then as well, even as they are pulling off this con on somebody else, you're like, yeah. I'm rooting for these guys, and you, you've got reason to them with how they flesh things out in that movie. It's a very complicated script and story, but it's also told from a very simpleton perspective. I mean, it's a movie that came out in the early 70s, but it's set in the, it was the 20s, I think it was, and it is very retro in the way that it is put together. It's almost filmed like a stage musical in a way. Yes. And it's it's and that's part of the appeal to it. It certainly could have been much more fleshed out, and, or not fleshed out, but visually spread, you know, made to be more contemporary than it was. But that's part of the appeal. I mean, that's one of those movies that got selected by Congress to be preserved for all time because it really captures a moment when the depression is starting to hit and the Roaring Twenties are not so roaring. But you've got. It's just a great movie all around, and it's one of those movies during this pandemic. Well, there's nothing new to watch. How many of you guys have seen The Sting? The first one. The second one is worth skipping, but the the original with Redford and Newman. And everybody had always wanted to see those two guys come together after Butch and Sundance and The Sting. They never really did. They always kept looking for one more project to work together, but it ultimately never happened. Redford's retired. Newman is gone. Um, but, boy, that was a heck of a good team-up. And if you want to see... Not just star power crackle on the screen together, but a great story. You know, boy, The Sting is a great one to check out. The heist concept is still working today, too, Dave. In, oh, yeah. In recent movies. You know, Baby Driver is one of the first ones that comes to it's mind. On my list. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the first that comes to mind as far as how you can take this genre, this subgenre and this concept and you can do new things with it. And you can you can come up with something that's a different kind of element to it. What did they do? They took and used music. They took and they used um, the driving element in particular as well. And they, they played off of that a little bit with a, a pretty stylish movie that they that they ran with. But that's proof. You you can Logan Lucky, that's another one that's fairly recent that again takes the heist concept, but you get the right kind of cast put together with it and the right kind of way of telling the story and, and fleshing it out in a really interesting way that can make this this genre work in a new way and take the the whole heist idea and add something a little bit different that maybe hasn't been done in others before. Yeah, go back to Baby Driver here. That's one that you know, we've given a lot of love to. It's a great stylish movie, but it's definitely got the substance. And while heist is definitely on just below the surface throughout the entire movie, you never really witness the heist per se. Basically, when the heist is happening and they're you in the see banks, the after. you see him hanging out in the car just waiting while a lot of people would consider the meat and potatoes is happening, but it really isn't. It's about the life of this really skilled hearing-impaired driver that music is his life, and it comes down to a level of trust. He finally sees a way to get out with this gal. The people around him, well, they're bad guys, so how trustworthy are they? And you end up having a guy that's a fairly sympathetic, cool guy 
earlier in the movie with John Hamm's character essentially become an unhinged lunatic by the end of the movie and become the straight-up antagonist by the time the movie's over. And he only ultimately tries to run away from his partner because of the heist gone bad. But it's done so well, and it's a different perspective on a heist movie, but it is absolutely a heist movie with a lot of style that really got a lot of attention. But once you get past that surface and you scratch down even a little bit, you got a lot of stuff of substance that is there too, and you get those two together, style and substance. You got a dynamite movie, Baby Driver. Well, worth checking out. You mentioned something in there that's another element of heist movies that's sometimes interesting too. When things go wrong, because there are some heist movies where it it's based around the premise of things going wrong. Have you? Have you seen The Getaway with oh, yeah. Steve McQueen and Ali McGraw? I saw the remake with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Not okay. the same. Yeah, not not the same as the original one. There's an instance of when things go wrong, um, and, and a very interesting movie. I, I watched that here during the pandemic a, a few months ago. Very very good movie. It was it was a good example too of the two people kind of being forced into doing this job because. McQueen's character is is trying to get out of prison. His wife, Allie McGraw, has to make a deal to set that up, and then then they're forced to do a job. What happens when it goes awry, though? That that essentially puts them on the run, more or the less. Getaway. After that, yeah. So so there's one. Here's another two. Old 1960 British film, The League of Gentlemen. Oh, with, I've heard of it, but yeah, I haven't seen it. With Jack Hawkins, Richard Attenborough, like really interesting cast that's been assembled together. One of those instances of a heist movie bringing together guys who have questionable backgrounds, questionable motives. They're just questionable in general. And they're coming together and deciding, you know what? We want to take some money because we kind of feel jaded after the war. A little bit, and we're going to try to get some of what we feel we deserve. And they've got this plan. It's been well drawn up. It gets pulled off perfectly, almost perfectly. There's just, you keep thinking, where is the rug going to get pulled out here? Well, there's a way. And, and they think they've got the perfect job. They think they've got it all sealed off. Not quite. Kind of like the the original Ocean's Eleven. You know, it seems like it's all been drawn up perfectly by the Rat Pack, but there's just one little problem. And then they've got to find a way to get out of it, and then, well, it, it leaves you with a conclusion that makes you kind of go, what? It, same. It's the same kind of feeling at the League of Gentlemen. There's, there's this uh, comedic element to it where you kind of are left going, oh, at the very end. Yeah, it's fun to watch people that think more than two moves ahead, like chess. They're anticipating what could go wrong and trying to head it off. And sometimes these movies, they really have to think on their feet. And other times it almost looks like they have to think on their feet. But then you find out they actually knew this was going to happen. They anticipated it, and it plays off. You know, spoiler alert here with the sting, at the end, both Redford and Newman get shot dead. Oh, wait, let's all pretend it was just squibs and blanks and they, they don't hate each other. They're totally in on it. And, you know, and then they walk away laughing and, you know, Redford even refuses the money. He's like, ah, I'll probably blow it anyway and goes off just to live his lifestyle. Just to right. do this was the fun part. So it's interesting to see how they're anticipated and then how it plays off. Sometimes knowing the end, like usual suspects, you know at the end pretty much everybody dies. 
But how did it really happen? Did it happen the way we thought it was? Who is Kaiser Soze? It's its its own thing to see it actually flesh out and is it the way that you thought it was. And that's one of the fun things about a heist movie. You're looking at one hand while the other one's pulling out rabbits, so to speak. And boy, that just draws you in. Well, it's all about perspective, too. Oh, you, yeah. Especially absolutely. with a movie like Usual Suspects, you get... You get varying perspectives in there. You you get a story that is told to you. And again, if you if you listen if you're listening to this and you've never seen Usual Suspects, be forewarned. You know we're we're getting into some spoilers on it, but we will give away the spoiler. But. Yeah, you're getting you're getting a perspective told to you with that story, but you only realize it at the very end. That you've been told a story. There's a you, twist. You've been you've been told a a perspective, a tale to this, and all of a sudden at the very end, it becomes <gasps> no. it becomes extremely clear. But it becomes extremely clear right at the end, right at the very last with that movie, and that's when you go, really? And oh like man, that, he's gone. <laughs> Just like that. Yep. You know, and talk about... Proof uh, that we've watched that more than a few times. It is a good movie. It really, really is. <laughs> there was a time, I I've, I think I've told you this before, I was I was flying back here, and it was one of the options on the Delta flight I was on, and I was like, I'm watching The Usual Suspects. Yeah, I'm going to put away my intended movie idea that I had, and I'm watching this. That's one of those where other people <laughs> on the airplane would be like, what are you watching? What is that? That looks good. It's, it is that good of a movie. I mean, right now you got some issues with some of the people that made it, but you know, don't let that ruin the product. It's a really 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 good movie it is one of my i don't have a favorite movie i have a list and that is on the list i know i know it is you you told me back before i had first watched it you've got to watch this movie it is yeah. fantastic well worth checking out I, it's i can't say it's not a heist movie but it's not a heist movie at the same time but it's not without heist it's, it's very well worth watching for lots of reasons yeah so and we talked we've touched about this other one a few times, but it's well worth bringing up the Italian job. We've talked about it kind of in passing, but it is a really good. Which one? Both of them? Well, they're they're so different. If you they watch are. the original '60s version with Michael Caine, and then you watch what 2002, I think, is when the newer one with Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron came out, and Donald Sutherland's in it. Very very different movies. Uh, the Michael Caine version is almost a quirky comedy. It is more than yeah. any, and quirky at that. I mean, it's very tongue in cheek and Th- almost that British touch of, of oh, yeah. a lot of those those films that were made at that time in the '60s in Great Britain. Yeah, you, oh, yeah. you, you can tell there's they've got those elements to it of a little bit of comedy in there. It's a little bit drier, but it's it's very interesting on its own. And ocean and the, the 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 remake Italian Job is definitely one that's got a humorous element. It's lighthearted, but it's not without its moments of depth. And it almost is a heist movie based on revenge. And that's one of the other fun parts about a heist movie. Why do it? You know, well, we need this. We're going to trump the other real bad guy. Yeah, revenge. This guy was part of our crew. Double crossed us. There's you know, a family element to it as well. Killed one of our own, and now we're going to take back what he stole from us and get the revenge on top of that. Um, and it's a fantastic and a great all-star cast. You even have, even though he had wanted nothing to do with it, Edward. Um, oh, I was going to say Edward Furlong, and that's not the right name. Edward uh, Norton uh, had not did not want to have anything to do with this movie. It was, really, it was something contractually obligated. I'm sure there's more of a backstory to it, but he just it was part of his contract. He had to do it. Didn't want to be a part of it. Which just maybe worked it for his character because he's so smarmy and maybe he just was on set because he felt he had to. 
But and Edward Norton is a great actor. He shows up in all kinds of stuff. There's another good heist movie we'll talk about with him in it too. But it just worked, and you have all these other guys. Seth Green is in it, you know. Yep. Most Def is in it. <laughs> I mean, and Jason Stratham. It's a great cast. They all play their parts. You kind of get a gist as to what's going to happen, but you don't get the full picture. And much like Ocean's Eleven, you know what the original plan is going to be. You have a couple curves come your way, and now you have to fix it. They were going to go into his house, and now you can't go into the house. Now you have to get this thing as it's underway. It's a chess match. Who's going to outwit the other one? And that's another big part of the heist movie, the wits. Who's got the bigger, better wits that is going to be able to outwit the other one, the defense versus the offense? I had forgotten about Seth Green being in that movie until you brought it up there. And I was like, oh, that's right. It has, it's been a while since I've seen it, though. So. Yeah. And those of you that grew up on Family Guy, now you hear Seth Green doing something else. You don't usually see Seth Green. You hear him a lot, but you don't see him right. that often. And I mentioned Edward Norton in another really good heist movie. If the Italian job is very slick and it's more rock and roll heist, a good jazz heist, so to speak, is a movie called The Score. You have the two godfathers. You have De Niro and you have Brando. Brando's got a small part. And you'll have Edward Norton in it as well. And it is a well-thought-out slow burn well paced but really good the way they used to make them and it came out in i'm not looking at it 2004 or something like that directed 2001 2001 okay frank oz the voice of yoda directs the movie he directs it directs it and it's a great movie about an art heist up in montreal and de niro is a cat burglar who's coming to the end he's looking for one more score to finish out his career Edward Norton is the guy who's got the inside track, but they're not sure if he can really be trusted, and he seems to be a little fast and loose with the details. Eh, it'll be fine. While De Niro is a paint-by-numbers, or not paint-by-numbers, but really it has to be a certain way. has to be a certain way, and Brando is the guy that is kind of the go-between in a way. And it's a really good to see these characters and to see great actors work them out and just to see De Niro and Brando on screen together. They both played Don Corleone, older and younger, but to see them together... I think it is the only time they are ever on screen together at the same time, and it's a great show. Um, and then, of course, you kind of know what's going to happen, but then it's one of those where you get curveballs and how are you going to improvise, who's going to outwit. And it's it's a movie that plays with a lot of shade. It's a lot of gray. There's no black and white, good guy, bad guy. It's shades of gray. There is a, You've said it before. There are degrees of who's the bad guy here. Very well worth put together. Well, it's proof, too, that a heist movie does not need to rely on action set pieces, big explosions, or even just confrontational, big, big confrontational elements to the movie to make it really interesting. Sometimes it can be a slower burn or more of that cat burglary kind of idea to make it work and to make it really good. Yeah, good use of tension. And there's there's a lot happen. of that, but you're not yeah. going to have the Italian job car chase. You're not going to have the flashy set pieces. It's a lot of this takes place in a in a basement setting in an art gallery in Montreal. Not exactly gorgeous. Not like what was above ground in the Thomas Crown affair when he's stealing the painting from where it's more beautiful. This is a little more on the darker side, but it's it's well worth payoff. You get the setup and you get the payoff. And it just works. And you've got to, I mean, you can't beat the cast. You just can't. Say what you want about Marlon Brando and how bizarre he is. And he's got his moments where this is at the end of his career. I'd have to look, but this might be, question mark, the last movie he was in while he was alive. He's shown up in some things posthumously, but I think I may be wrong. This might be the last movie he filmed. 
I'm surprised because we haven't made any mention of another movie that I know is among your favorites, Dave. Because you, I'm re- saving one for the end. You are. You recommended a movie to me for me to watch for the first time, and I did that, and I know that this is one of your favorites. You've talked about being a sleeper favorite of yours, but I suppose we're saving one in particular until the end for you to, you to get into. You bring it up if you so, want. Um, well, let, let's get into I I mean, I said we were going to come back to this here at some point, getting into some of our favorites. So let's do it. Favorite heist movies and, and why with some of those? Well, uh, well, since you kind of teased it, I'll, I'll bring it up. Might as well. So it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's called Sneakers. I, I see. I, I Another thought Robert Redford movie. When it didn't come up at all to this point, I was like, I wonder if that's the movie that Dave has been teasing from the beginning. Because why wouldn't he bring it up? He's brought up just about every other heist movie conceivable to this point, but he hasn't brought up Sneakers. And you recommended this one to me. You were like, you've got to see this one. You've got to see this one. Then you loaned it to me, and I watched it. I was like, hey, this is a really good movie. Great cast, like you said, Robert Redford. Oh, yeah, all-star Sin- cast. Sidney Poitier is in it as well. River Phoenix, one River of his Phoenix. last movies yep. he did. You've got Ben Kingsley. You've got Dan Aykroyd, funny enough. Uh, David Strather and Mary McDonnell. It's, and, and a couple up-and-comers, too. It's a great movie directed by a guy named Phil Eldon Robinson, who'd also done Field of Dreams. But it is so slickly made, and the cinematography of it, it's just it's slick all the way through. Some of it is dated because it's about computer hacking in a way that a lot of the technological. It was made in '92, so obviously computers have come a long way since then. There was you have really to put wasn't yourself a, into the time of when the movie. Was yeah, made. there really wasn't such a thing as the internet, not like we know it today. It just it isn't in this movie. It doesn't exist like that. But for what it is, it is a fantastic. And the, the core of the movie, what it's about, and the way it's done, is still very much today, where we're talking about you know cybersecurity and you know all that stuff. This is what the movie's about. It's about a group of computer hackers, and it's their job to break into systems to find out where the weak points are so these systems can be upgraded and secure. But what happens when they're blackmailed into completing a job to steal the ultimate hacking device that any government would kill for? And is it really the government that's asking him to do it, or is it another you know, ruse on top of that? It is so slick, and it's got a, such a satisfying conclusion, and it's just fun, the characterisms. You know, David Stratheran, who you've seen in The River Wild, you've seen in Good Luck and Good Night, um, and a lot of others, is a great character actor. He's a blind guy in this movie, and some of the things that he has to do and how his ears work on this. The conspiracy-minded Dan Aykroyd, where everything is a conspiracy, you know, and Robert Redford is running from his past, from his old buddy Ben Kingsley. It is a well-done movie. It's fun. It's lighthearted. It's hard to describe, but what kind of movie is it other than a heist movie? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Yes, it's very lighthearted. Yes. It's got thriller elements. It's got a little of everything. It's like the best cake you've ever eaten. It's sweet, but it's got this and it's got that and it's and a great cast. It's not James Earl Jones even pops up briefly, you know, who had been directed by Robinson earlier in Field of Dreams. It's a great movie about something that is still very current even though the technology is a little dated. It still speaks as loud today as it ever did, and it's one of my favorite movies to watch for some reason in the fall. So I'm getting into ready to watch it again. Perfect. I don't know why that is, but it just is. 
How often is it with heist movies where you're talking about how slick they are? It's it's so common. It's such a commonplace thing. I don't know if that is another one of those prerequisites that's required to make a heist movie, but there is just a slick component that exists to them. It's why I love Ocean's Eleven. It's why I love the 1960s Thomas Crown Affair. It's why... With all of them, there is a slick component because of how they pull it off and how visually appealing it is to watch this job play out and and get accomplished and watching the characters work their way through all of this. There there always seems to be a slick kind of component to it, and I, I don't know if if there's some way to quantify that apart from it just has that kind of feeling, but it seems to always exist with heist movies. Well, it's kind of like a magic act, which in itself is slick. You know, that's, that's why true. The, now you see yeah. me is it's a great double metaphor on Tandre for these are magicians pulling off heists because it is a con. It is a slick sleight of hand. You don't see generally clunky musician or um, magicians. Maybe they do it comically. Like you watch Penn and Teller, they'll make it look like we don't know what the heck we're doing. And but then all of a do. sudden at the end, you realize, oh my goodness, they totally had this down. You dropped the, th- I can't believe you dropped the thing. Listen, it's, I've watched America's, I've watched America's Got Talent. I've seen bad magicians in oh, action. Yeah. And I know that feeling of, uh, this feels like I'm watching uh, I don't know, a record getting scratched or something, and in a bad way, yeah. getting scratched. It's like, this This is painful. This this really hurts. It would be funny. It would be a good idea for a movie for somebody to be a wannabe th- a thief who clearly has no skill, but almost by measure of luck and accident manages to get into it and succeed. There you go. You've got a movie concept. That would be a different way. It might be a gimmick, but it itself would have to be creative. Well, speaking of bumbling, um, a heist movie we haven't talked about at all, the Pink Panther movies. I mean, we have the bumbling solving of them with Inspector Cluzo and in the those. Great, yeah, Peter Sellers. It's you know, yep. it, it's more about the aftermath. It's, it's a heist movie, but the heist is almost the MacGuffin. It's not really about the heist. It's about watching this lunatic idiot who thinks he's so much more grand than he is. Yeah. And there's the bizarreness of it. I'm going to hire you to attack me randomly to keep me on my toes. And if you know Peter Sellers, just absolutely could step into the bizarre. Absolutely. And it's just, how do you describe it? And I don't mean the Steve Martin version. though. There's there's love for those two. But I mean the Peter Sellers, and they, yes. did, they weren't all great toward the end, but the first couple in particular oh, man. are just, I mean, Blake Edwards. Laugh out loud funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The heist is just, yeah, and there was a heist too. But this movie's about this. And it's just fun to watch the zany, bizarre slapstick. If you thought Leslie Nielsen was good in Naked Gun, he took his pages from Inspector Clouseau. Not to mention driving his commissioner to insanity with Herbert Lom's uh, (laughs) Dreyfus. And his, his reaction to all of his antics and all the mistakes and issues he had dealt with. Oh, this was one of those great movies. It's you know, can you classify it as a heist movie? You have to. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but is it a heist movie? No, not really. It's, it's about solving the the heist more or less. Um, but and, and his his um, his dealings with uh, with some of the various. Um, cat burglars that catching the bad guys by accident almost it'd be funny to watch a version where you actually succeed in stealing by bumbling accident well that would be that would be funny and i I think some there have been some movies that kind of play on that idea a little bit but it'd be it'd be funny to see a movie fully pivot onto that 
that whole element and try to make that work and be compelling too. I'll tell you another one that is a good heist movie because it is a true story and it is very reminiscent, it's not reminiscent, but almost a mirror of the culture in which we are. The Bling Ring. Did you ever see that one? No. True no. story about a bunch of kids that so idolized a lot of these celebrity types like Paris Hilton and so forth and how their social media and everything would basically inform everybody where they are or aren't and that they're not at home this week. So they would break into the houses to go not just steal stuff to sell it, but to have it and to basically, in a way, connect with these people that they would never otherwise connect with. And then we're so brag. oh, this is a true story. It happened in the early 2000s. And they just, kids aren't going to keep their mouths shut and they got too brazen and they broke into a lot of places and then they made a movie about it that's very much based on what had happened. It's just bizarre. And these and the people that did it almost wanted to be celebrities themselves. So by breaking in and doing this, it, it's just, it's absolutely bizarre, but it is, it's almost like watching a train wreck, but it's a train wreck that you see in real life every day. And some examples where people just kind of want to be famous or be associated with the fame or, and I know I'm looking at Hoove, look up this, the movie is like, what, what, No, I never what? heard of this just before. Your, just your face. It's yeah. like, this happened? What? Yes. It's, it is absolutely a heist movie, but more so than just the act itself, it's the motivation behind it. Well, why would they do it? Because they wanted to be connected to these people that they see in the magazines and see on TV and so on and so forth. The Paris Hiltons of the world that are really only famous for being famous. Let's break into her home, get her stuff so that we can kind of touch who we emulate, I guess. That's taking a love of people who are involved in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And fame and that that obsession with that that people sometimes have that's taking it to a whole different level absolutely it's <laughs> it's the whole and it's a true story and the that's whole taking thing, fandom to a whole different level it's like bizarre. we're gonna rob them so we can have a piece of their life oh and they would wear them out you know i'd steal paris hilton's jacket and then i would wear it around you know usually heists don't work like that you know you get the thing and then you have to move it and then you have to sell it on some way shape or form yep. so you can profit from it this was all about materialism watching it and you know and and being envious of it and then emulating it and becoming not famous but infamous and some of these people are still in certain circles well known they've done their time they've paid their price or whatever but it's just it's bizarre all of it from top to bottom inside outside and this is a movie about it uh, i'm sure there's this lots of articles you can read about it it's just absolutely nuts but it's it would be a good very different example of what is a heist movie all right, other other favorites of yours, Dave, ones that, that really stand out. There's one, it's more about the characters rather than the heist, but it very much is about a heist. It came out in the late 80s called Family Business, where it's about a family of burglars, and the patriarch is Sean Connery, his son, Dustin Hoffman, and his son, Matthew Broderick. So the three of them are, this, it's just something that's been generational, and they're going to do another job that goes a bit sideways. It's not so much about the burglary itself. It's more about the dynamics between the members of the family. But, I mean, you can't beat the cast. At this point, Matthew Broderick is coming off Ferris Bueller. He's he's on the top of his game. Connery is iconic. So is Dustin Hoffman. It's, it's, it's about the characters more than anything else. But in the background, the MacGuffin that makes it all work is this upcoming heist and how it may break apart the family, perhaps. Well worth watching, but you know, family business it also kind of ties into 
you know, mafia a little bit, the family, so to speak. It's 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 a good movie, if for nothing else, from a character perspective. Well worth watching. It's one that you don't really hear about anymore. It kind of came out, it did good, and then it just kind of went under like a submarine that never really came back up. I've never seen it while flipping channels. It's one of those great lost classics, I think, that somehow just kind of fell in the cracks. But it's well worth, you know, getting a Hoover and sucking that thing back out. Yeah. Yeah. See what I did there? <laughs> I did like that one. Yes, that that's good. Ironically enough, I don't own a Hoover, funny enough. <laughs> Maybe I should change that. I don't know. But I like I appreciate the reference. Any others that stick out? I'll do one for kids. If you want to get kids on a caper movie, you can't go worse or can't do much better than the great Muppet Caper. This one Oh, came I've out, heard of the great Muppet Caper. I've never seen it. I though. think it's the second Muppet movie. I think it came out in eighty one. It's it's the Muppets. It's Kermit and Miss Piggy and all this, and it's a it's not about the MacGuffin is of course the burglary that happens at the end of an art gallery. It's a Muppet movie. It's not serious. It really isn't. Obviously, but it, at the end, you've I, just, got, I just love the Muppets. Oh, who doesn't I'm, love the Muppets? You I'm got the, such a Muppet fan. I watched this movie not long ago with my kiddo. He'd never seen the Muppets before, other than you know Kermit is on Sesame Street, but he'd never seen Fozzie and Gonzo, and he hadn't seen him yet. He's four, so you, you, you have to introduce these things. Fozzie's my favorite character. So I show him the Great Muppet Keeper, <laughs> and I haven't seen this movie. And I couldn't tell you how long. I loved it when I was a kid, and now I'm watching it again, and I'm watching him love it. For the first time, now he loves the Muppets because of the Muppet Caper, and it's just the Great yes. Muppet Caper is such a good movie, and it's so. If you ever watch the Muppets, they're so. Uh, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, not not. Um, oh, they they no, they're giving a sly wink to the audience. They'll break the fourth wall and talk to the camera. They're very self aware. Uh, very meta. That's what I was going to say. Very meta. <laughs> that's a good and way to put And they're even talking, hey, it's this kind of movie. In this movie, we play this. You know, it's just, it speaks to kids. It is tongue-in-cheek, and adults are going to love it, too. Charles Grodin is in it, who was big at the time. Diana Rigg, who was off The Avengers, not the comic book version, but also a former Bond girl. Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's a great movie. Adults are going to like it for, if not nostalgia reasons, just the meta stuff that the kids aren't going to get. But, of course, what kid isn't going to love the Muppets? And it's a good heist movie for the kids, The Great Muppet Caper, 1981. Love it. Excellent choices. Here's Here are a couple that, that I like that are a little bit older that we haven't gotten into. One that I watched for the first time, um, I, I forget how long ago it was. I, I recorded it, and I decided I'll take a chance on watching this, and I'll see how it is. And it turned out to be a really entertaining movie. And here's a slight spoiler on it. I kept expecting the the bottom to fall out on this entire job throughout the movie, especially at the end. And then when it didn't, I found myself very pleasantly happy that this didn't all go horribly wrong somehow. I'm talking about Kelly's Heroes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That That's a very, very entertaining movie. World War II, bunch of soldiers who are, are kind of getting jaded at, at the end of, of the campaign through Europe find out about this cache of gold and they decide to go on a special mission to try to get it and they're led by Kelly who's played by Clint Eastwood and it's it's this collection of guys who who go after it you've got Telly Savalas who Telly Savalas seems to be everywhere in in 60s action movies oh, or yeah. just movies in general um Who's Kojak? Yeah. Well, that's 70s, yeah. You've got um you've got Donald Sutherland as the crazy tank driver in there as well. Um, just this hodgepodge of guys who decide they're going to go after this gold. And like I said, you kept, you keep expecting things to, 
to kind of go wrong at some point with with this. Um, but no, they they find it and they pull it off. They pull off this heist of of going after this gold on this rogue mission, even as they are trying to navigate their way through their own command, who are telling them to do this, go here, go there. No, we're just gonna. I mean. We're going to win the war. They kind of have that sense by that point. Let's get something out of it for ourselves. And wouldn't you know it, they pull it off. So there's there's another one. If you want like a war element uh, kind of heist movie. I know there are some other ones like um, Three Kings is like the, a more modern sort version of, of that. That's kind of a heist movie. It's, it's kind of starts as a heist movie and changes gears to yeah. something else. Yeah. Yeah. So... So there's there's a few examples there. Um, another one that I like that's that's again a different kind of heist movie that that sort of plays off the whole notion of it. And speaking of motives, motive plays a huge role in this one. Um, is How to Steal a Million with Peter O'Toole and with uh, Audrey Hepburn. That's one that I've one. not seen. Who? That's, that's one you haven't seen. I've yeah, not seen it. That's very charming movie, especially when you put those two together. Two two people who I really enjoy seeing in movies on their own of course O'Toole um he's the central guy in my favorite movie ever Lawrence of Arabia and yeah. Audrey Hepburn's just so charming and and really good and you put the two of them together very entertaining movie and they're essentially trying to steal a forgery that that would um if it's found to be a forgery would put uh Audrey Hepburn's father to shame who's who's an artist um, so she hires O'Toole's character to go and try to steal this forgery and take it away so that it doesn't get found out that it's a fake. And so her, her dad's reputation will stay intact. And it, it, uh, But they, the public believes that this thing is real and it, it's quite priceless if it is as real as they think it is, even though it's not. So it ends up setting the scene for a very comedic movie that's that's also quite charming with who's at the center of it so a couple that we haven't mentioned that that i like that are worth bringing up too because i mean you know me oceans 11 is that is a top three favorite movie for me in terms of that's a great movie you can watch it again and again it's one of those rare movies as soon as it's done you could watch it again immediately my brothers lose it my brothers and i quote that movie to each other all the time i mean we we love that movie my family just loves that movie um I, i like the series as well um with those movies um of course i mentioned thomas crown affair and how much i enjoy that movie the older version um and then we mentioned usual suspects that's another one baby driver certainly is another two but those are those are ones that don't forget my favorite don't forget sneakers again give oh, another certainly, shout out certainly yeah I, I really enjoyed that that you suggested that one because i was like hey this this is pretty good but so those kind of stand out at the surface but the ones that i brought up there those are ones beneath the surface a little bit that i that i discovered that i went you know what these these are pretty good too on on their own right and for their own reasons there's a lot of there that are depending on your perspective. You can, and I think I've got my list. I have a feeling you've got your list. There's a lot of movies that people. Well, you didn't say this one. That you can draw the line as to how broad you want to consider it. You could consider right. Valkyrie a heist movie because they're trying to steal Germany from Hitler. You know, and that's a true story. Is it a heist movie? If you want to look at it from a certain perspective, sure. How about National Treasure? No, it's not a heist movie. Gonna it's who's going to get to the treasure first? You know, it's more of a, it's as much a heist movie as Indiana Jones. You well, know? It, it kind of is, though. I mean, 
Nicolas Cage, like I just whispered there, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, you know, he, it, but it's some, mean, something part of big, something bigger. You know, yes. it's got a heist element to it. But is it a heist movie? No, it's a rollicking adventure movie. It's like Indiana Jones yeah. stealing a, a, a medallion that he can use for whatever, whatever. It's it's it doesn't really qualify according to being kind of strict as to what a heist movie is. A straight, pure heist movie. I mean, if we're going to qualify. Inception as being one. I mean, that would be another one like that I would reverse include. Reverse heist movie, yes. in a way, and, and I would include that one in my in my favorites as well because it's it's a phenomenal movie, especially visually. But oh, absolutely. But it, we've mentioned quite a few older movies, but a, a lot of newer ones too, and it's proof that this this subgenre still has some good legs, especially if you've got a concept um, and you're able to make it really compelling with the why. You know, that that I think continues to be at the center of what makes a lot of these either good or forgettable is, is the why a really compelling one for well, for the reasoning behind doing this heist? Because you are, again, you're playing into the the shades of shades of evil, shades of, of bad with the reasoning behind this and with the characters at hand. And if you've got a really compelling one, you're you're gonna be in a good place if you're trying to put a movie like this together. There's you don't see as many as you used to because it involves smart writing. And I'm not saying that there are no more smart writers in Hollywood. Obviously, of course there are. But I don't think that their ratio is as high as it used to be, and I hate to say it. You're not gonna get a good heist movie if you have lazy writing. And we're seeing, uh, I see a lot of examples where you got these movies that are, there's every reason they should be good. And they're kind of not for whatever reason. Maybe it's just something about the story didn't work out or whatever the case. There was a movie I saw that it's called Heist. It's Gene Hackman and Delroy Lindo. And I, wa- I really wanted to see something good. And it just, it, it's not a bad movie. It just wasn't what I wanted it to be. It didn't come together the way I thought it was going to. But if you have lazy writing and well, we'll do it this way. I've not seen the now you if you know now you see if you see us or what it was called. Now you see me. Now you see me. There you go. Yeah. I haven't seen them yet. I hear they're fine, but it's just kind of almost a paint by numbers. I'm only saying what I've heard because I have not seen the movie or the sequel to it either. But if you are lazy about it, it doesn't really snap and crackle the way that the really good ones do. And there's too many examples where we don't have the teams. I think we need. To make them work, I'm not. I'm, I'm not trying to say that it, it can never be done because this kind of writing is gone. I'm not saying that. I'm putting it out as a challenge. Be a good writer and understand how stories work and how they're constructed, because that's what makes a good heist movie and a heist work. You got to think about the details and the angles, cover them, and then make them crackle with a good dialogue and casting and how it all works. Here's a newer movie that I haven't seen yet. I remember seeing the trailers for it, but apparently, I mean. It's been reviewed extremely well, and people people enjoyed that story. Widows, as far as yes. another heist movie. I, again, that's one I haven't seen, but widows of thieves who go and Not do the job, the job that they were that they were supposed to do, and they decide they're going to do it for themselves after after their husbands are are killed in in a shootout trying to pull this job off. So they decide we're going to take this on and we're going to try to get something out of this for us. Um, a, another newer idea on the heist movie but one that that had some substance to it as far as story and again i haven't gotten a chance to see it but everything that i've read is hey this was this yeah. was a very good concept i echo everything you said and i like that it contradicts what i had just said well they don't really make movies like well there's a great example of a movie that they are making like this with smart direction smart casting 
and it's it kind of contradictory of what I had just said, and that's good. And I, I have no problem being yeah. contradicted about that. But you're right. I mean, you're right that it it takes it takes a degree of writing and thinking that goes beyond just relying on something I mentioned earlier: set pieces, action stunts, things like that. You, you can't just rely on those things to make a heist movie really compelling. You've got to have story elements that are going to make it very interesting. You've got to you've got to weave a plot that's as good and intricate as the heist job that is being pulled off within that movie. That isn't it so proper that a movie that's done really well is like a heist job that they're describing within that movie that's done really well. If it's intricately woven and if it's thoughtful, you're going to pull it off. And in many ways Heist movies and movies in general run parallel in that degree because we're here to be entertained. We're here to be surprised. You know, we're here to see a magic trick to to call upon some of the themes of the prestige, which is a story of what it's like to be at the movies. It is we're here to be wowed. Oh yeah. And they get into that within that movie. With a heist, it's kind of running parallel with that idea. We're here to be wowed. We're here to to have something be told to us in a visually sparkling way. A heist is here to pull off a job in in a way that is smooth and is very compelling. And when you add in those human elements, if it's written well and if it's described well within the course of the story, you've got something that's going to be pretty compelling even if the protagonists kind of toe that line between protagonist and antagonist in a black and white general sense. Um, but then if you add in an antagonist that's a little bit more on the, the the badder side and makes those, you know, kind of on the fence protagonists a little bit more compelling to you, or if their reasoning is compelling, you've got something that people are going to get behind. And, and that's exactly it. You have to make it work for the audience. You're going to get those audience reactions where they're going to say, wait, what? How is that followed up with? Is it followed with, wait, what? Oh, no. You know, why is the emperor back? Didn't he die four movies ago? Wait a minute. Eh. Then you get the response where, oh, and they see how it all fit together. And it was just all the pieces were there. And then they just fell into place. And, yeah. Oh, that's what you want. And when you get those moments at the end of the prestige or the end of the illusionist, very similar movies, by the way. Um, yes, <laughs> that, when you get when you get that great audience response, oh, that's what you want. And if you can't construct the elements there, you got a house full of sticks, and it's not going to take much of a windstorm to knock it down. You need to think about it. You need to rethink about it. Go through it. Walk through it. Does this work? And then you get the story that works. Then you get some good dialogue. You get good cast to execute it. You get uh, a flashy way to show it, whether that's sneakers, love it, great soundtrack by James Horner too, uh, or the yeah. Italian job or something with a more slow burn like the score, Ocean's Eleven, which is much on substance and style at the same time. If you can make it work like that, that's what makes it work, but lazy writing is going to sink that boat right at the dock. And even with characters that that are a little bit more iffy, it can still be compelling. Sure. Bonnie, look at Bonnie and Clyde. Sure. I mean, you're taking two of the most infamous characters in, in American folklore and history, and you're making a pretty compelling movie and compelling story about these two people who you already have this idea about, but they had a compelling story that worked for that original movie. 
Could and, you call them lovable serial killers? I mean, in a way, oh man, that's a I, stretch. But that, that's that's but, that's quite a stretch. But we've I mean, made them lovable, lovable I, robbers. I mean, yeah. again, part of that whole that whole folklore thing, or in a less in a less towing the line sense. You know, look at something like the old man and the gun. You're you're watching yeah. Robert Redford's character in that movie, and you're going, you know, this guy he's he's going out there and he's robbing these these banks, but. He's just so nice as he's doing it. He's uh, he's a gentleman. He gets described as that within the movie. And it's like the opening heist of the of the movie um, out of uh, oh George Clooney again and out uh, of Jennifer sight. Lope, out of sight. Thank you. Yeah. And he's the opening scene. He's robbing the bank, but he's so courteous. Even the teller, thank you. You know, tells the robber, thank you. You know, it's interesting to see that and how it moves forward. That technically could be a heist movie too. Um, it, it's it's fun when you get those characters. The nice guys, the bad guys. Don Cheadle, who's such a good actor, and you just hate him in that movie. But at the same time, he teams up with George Clooney as part of the crew, Basher, in Ocean's Eleven. It's fun to see how he could play both sides of that coin, and Don Cheadle could have a good scene with a paper mop if he wanted to. He's that good. (laughs) He really is. Oh, it's great heist, heist movies, and with everybody hunkered down now in pandemics, and you start hearing people, well, there's nothing to watch. I guarantee you. You said it earlier off the air. Say it again. Which part? There's always something new to watch. That's right. I there guarantee is. you, as much as I have seen, and who was kind of getting on me, I can't recommend a movie to you. because That was an hour ago, them. so it slipped my mind That's there for a true. moment. <laughs> There's always something new yeah. to see. It may not be the brand newest edition. It may be 40 years old, but I guarantee you, heist shows, heist movies, or otherwise, there's something out there that you haven't seen before, and so it'll be new to you. And there's a compelling creativity to them. Yeah. Although... Don't get creative enough and don't let it fuel your imagination enough where you think, hey, let's go out there and rob something. No. no, that's not the point. The point is it's a compelling, interesting movie and something new, hopefully, as well. Maybe you got a new idea or two while listening to this one today for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, which is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. You know, it, it's gotten me thinking. It's been a while since I've seen both Italian jobs. I'm already thinking it'd be nice to go back and watch at least one of them, but hopefully both of them at some point. But that's you know you get the you get the gears turning a little bit on. Hey, there, there's a couple of movies here that either I haven't seen in a while or want to brush up on, or maybe have never seen and are worth getting back into. It's more fun when you, you're so used to seeing Michael Caine in the last few years with, you know, nominated for Oscars and Alfred the Butler, and then you see him in an offbeat comedic role, which he's very good at. He had a pretty good career at that, actually. Yeah. Even Jaws the Revenge. It's uh, it's fun to see things in a different light, so by all means, go back, dip into the well. There is a deep well. I like him in the otherwise. Harry Palmer movies, too. I, oh, yeah. I enjoy those as well. That offbeat Bond-type movie, too. Yeah. But. Well, we've got ideas. I mean, even you, you've got a couple of ideas here and there. Like I've said before, if I come up with an idea for a movie or a suggestion for Dave that he's never seen, I call it a great day because it's rare that that happens because that's just how deep your personal movie collection has gone in terms of what you've seen. It drives my wife crazy, too. Did you hear the thing about Yes, I did. Well, I can never tell you. Well, that's my job is to (laughs) know pop culture stuff, you know? Yep. But, you know, there's movies I haven't seen, and it's kind of comforting to know that there are some good movies. I haven't seen uh, Now You See Me, because I've heard it's it's okay, but it's nothing great. Well, in that case, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to Justice League. Yeah. I didn't see it. I'll get there, but I'm really in no rush to. 
But there's other movies, like I have not yet to see Dr. Zhivago, which is one of the best. Uh, so I've heard. But I haven't seen it yet. Someday I'll be like, I, I just want to see something that I know is good rather than take a chance on it. And I know it's going to be good. And two hours from now, I'll be like, boy, that was really good. I'm glad I finally saw that. It's nice to have a few of those in the bank. And I'll get there. And, I, and suggestions, you got to see this movie. It's really good. Some people I trust with their suggestions. Some people I don't. Well, I've come up with at least two movies today that you have not seen before, so I'm calling this a great day. (laughs) I aim to make you smile, Hoop. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I've seen them all. I'm Dave Brooks. Yes, you have. And we'll see you at the movies.